Well met, dreamer, and welcome to Nocturne, the humble planet of twilight tales and slumberant songs. Since receiving the report of Brendan's predicament, each moment they were not heading to the ornithologist's silo wrenched at her sense of urgency. They needed to reach Brendan fast, but slowness could not be helped. Luto and Rondo had a backpack full of items decanted onto the floor of the generator and they couldn't well leave without them. Chris tried to help them, but only seemed to slow things down, so opted to place items closer to the two of them so they need not run around as much. Once Luto placed each item back in her pack, she fastened the top of the pack down with a snug security. She then hoisted it onto her back and stood up in one smooth motion. Then she nodded to Chris and offered an affirmatory upward thumb. They were ready to go and Chris was now over eager to start. Chris did not understand why she was so worried about Brendan this time. It was not especially odd for researchers to lose themselves in other departments. It might even be typical or predictable that Brendan would find himself lost in another department. All research-focused areas of the society were open entry to other researchers, and she knew Brendan often took advantage of this. The rule was conceived to ensure transparency and cooperation between departments. In practice, it was often leveraged by those who were nosy and curious, and they had little better to do instead. What was odd was for Brendan to get trapped. 
there were few places at the society where one could not leave the same way they entered, except for a thematic one-way system in the spelunking department. Chris recalled a meeting there from a few years ago. They were to discuss the presence of a peculiar stalagmite moss that grew down as the stalagmite pushed upwards. After hours of talking, she required a break, and when she tried to leave, was told she would need an intern to guide her to the restroom and back around the department to enter the meeting room once again. On the long walk back, she was informed that such systems ensure that researchers come as prepared for their meetings as they might come for a cave exploration. This concern did not apply to the ornithologist's silo. She had visited them nearly a week ago to discuss the noise complaints with the head of their department. Nothing seemed out of the ordinary then. They had done a tour of the tower, as is customary whenever a head of department meets another head. They then ascended and descended the tower with no obstructions, other than sidestepping errant bird droppings. Brendan's predicament did not line up with her logic, and that dissonance led to concern and concern led to fretting for her old friend. The trio left the generator and headed to the western end of the society. The silo was visible in the distance from the engineers and loomed larger and wider as they approached it. Chris led Luto and Rondo at a pace slower than a run and uncomfortably above walking but appropriate for the urgency she felt inside. Behind her, Rondo and Luto began discussing other options for their third member if Brendan couldn't be found in time. Rondo suggested that Luto might have a friend in the far wilds who could join them instead. The suggestion seemed a difficult one for Luto, and the subject was dropped, but the conversation was most problematic for Chris. These two had an urgent trip of their own to begin, so of course they only had a limited time to help her here. Knowing this, she resolved to convince them that retrieving Brendan would be worth the trouble, and tried to sell them on his excellent qualities. Brendan was gentle and knowledgeable, helpful to a fault, a survivalist who had experience in the far wilds. That he was also a foremost expert on fungi was a steel toe-capped footnote to which Rondo and Luto nodded along impressively. Chris even recounted the time she and Brendan negotiated a fine deal with an innkeeper near the Sand Sea when they arrived outside the ornithologists.
The silo looked the same to Chris as it did a week past. The outside was fashioned out of riveted sheets of metal, as it was when the farmers donated the warehouse and silo to the society all those years ago. These were patched together in such a way that every seam was visible, creating a metallic patchwork that curved around to create a cylinder that spiraled up and up on itself to make the tower. Only the retrofitted windows informed one that this was no longer a place where grain would sit idly. Looking to the top, Chris could see a Nocturnian figure at the peak. It could have been anyone, but she called out Brendan's name in the hope it was him. The figure turned around, but it was difficult to see who it was. They didn't respond to Chris, though, so her concern grew. She ushered Rondo and Luto inside the silo, keen to ascend to the top and solve whatever issue might have trapped Brendan up there. She pushed open the barn-style door for them, then followed him behind. Once inside, her suspicions were given plenty of fodder to fester further. The internals of the silo bared little resemblance to the open-plan lobby that existed here a week prior. Perhaps the walls were still the same, but she could see no walls. The ceiling-high bookcases that had previously lined the room had been moved claustrophobically into the center of the room and were hard to see beyond. The gaps that were there only revealed more tall bookshelves behind them stocked full of texts, feather collections, and the occasional taxidermid bird, all illuminated by orbs of wood-colored songlight that sat inside bird-box-style lampshades nailed to the shelves. The arrangement exuded a labyrinthine quality that was quite an imposing impression for a lobby to make. The ladders that previously allowed access to the upper parts of the tower were no longer visible either. All that remained of the previous layout was an open path to the large wooden reception desk in the center of the room. Chris walked uncertainly towards it with Luto and Rondo in tow. She recognized the receptionist from her last visit. They were wearing an inordinately identifiable hat that was adorned with an extravagant blue-green plumage. The plumage sat excitedly on her head and seemed to unfurl as Chris approached her. Reaching her desk, the receptionist welcomed Chris with bubbly-mannered pleasantries, much as she did a week ago. Welcome to the Ornithologists. How may I help you today? Good day, good day. We are here to collect a colleague. Chris looked around the room to emphasize her question. How does one go upstairs here now? The receptionist and her hat recoiled slightly at the question before responding. 
Yes, yes, we had some much-needed renovations here. It felt like an awkward response to Chris, but she persisted. I can see. So how does one ascend the tower now? The receptionist looked down and only responded with a purposeful feeling silence. Chris repeated her question and received the same answer, only this time the receptionist looked down at her feet even harder. Chris had been obstructed and obfuscated many times in her role as department head. Managing people often meant seeing people that did not want to be seen, but the receptionist's behavior was quite brazen. It was unusual to get a response like this, especially from someone she'd met before with no issue at all. Chris judiciously decided to apply as much good faith towards the situation as she could muster. Compressing her frustration with this rationalization formed a clumsy geniality, one that was made for the sake of progress. I'm sorry, but the rules are quite clear on this matter. Members of the society may not be stopped from entering common buildings. This comment elicited an uncomfortable response from the receptionist. You are allowed to go upstairs, so please make your way up. This felt like a somewhat rehearsed response to Chris, but she did prefer it to the absolute silence of before. Chris looked around to see if she had missed any obvious ways up. She only saw the confused faces of Rondo and Luto, which assured her that the receptionist's response was certainly an odd one. She pushed on, asking, But how? And the receptionist looked down and ignored her again. In her head, Chris debated whether to continue this dance of words spoken and information evaded. If something is going on, you can tell me. I'm a department head. The receptionist seemed to consider this a moment, then returned to her avoidant silence. Looking over at Rondo, she saw his eyebrows were raised in a mild disbelief at the chicanery of the receptionist. He whispered to Chris, This is not my first gatekeeping rodeo. Want me to try? It is quite the nuisance pondered Chris, before gesturing towards the receptionist with her head. It's not her fault, though. We'll have to find a way up on our own. Rondo then did his best to tell Luto what was happening before Chris asked them both to follow her. She wanted to locate the original ladders that led to the next floor and see what was there now. They slinked through bookcases and stepped over bird droppings to reach the first location Chris remembered. They were somewhat unsurprised to find that there were no ladders where there were ladders before. 
Only the closed trapdoors on the ceiling remained. Accompanying the door were several smaller holes at its edges. Chris saw small birds flutter through the holes to leave and access the floor above. The group looked for ways to access the trapdoor without a ladder. The ceiling was too high for one to jump up and grab the door, however, Luto, understanding that progress lay upstairs, climbed up a bookcase and gave the door a heavy one-handed shove. The door resisted her, and whatever lock within it clanked securely against its boundaries. Chris watched Luto shove the door repeatedly with no success before conceding defeat and clambering back down the bookcase. Their methods drew some attention from the researchers going hither and thither about the lobby. They tried to ask some of them for help, but they seemed to be avoiding them whilst also keeping an eye on them. At this point, Chris understood that she was allowed to go upstairs, but it felt unbecoming of a department head to run around with a crew climbing bookcases and knocking on ceilings. Recognizing this dissonance between their need for progress and the ignominy of their methods, she led Luto and Rondo outside the silo to regroup. and deflating, Chris took one deep breath before speaking her mind. She lamented that, technically, the ornithologist's department was still open to all, but only really to the privileged few that knew how. Rondo interrupted this thought with one of his own. Quite, but why? They didn't set this up just to trap a third man. Chris confessed that she had no idea why, but Rondo was happy to guess blindly. Could be some kind of secret, something valuable or embarrassing. Rondo's cynicism put Chris on the defensive. Sounds as if they often hide things at the historians, said Chris. Rondo chuckled nervously before responding. Ah, so you've heard of us then. Chris could not tell how much he was joking, but decided it was best to find out later. There must be a way up. All of their researchers work here. 
It must be simple, too, as they only had a week to sort this out. Rondo agreed with the assumptions, and they started brainstorming ideas for what system the ornithologists may have enacted. As they did, Luto examined the outside of the silo. Something seemed to grab her attention before she alerted Chris and Rondo by saying, I will look more. She then walked out of view around the back of the silo. After some deliberation, Chris and Rondo agreed that having someone show them the way up would be the fastest method forward. The only issue would be finding someone willing to do so. Asking them hasn't worked so far, said Chris. I could track one of the researchers up, offered Rondo, an idea that disconcerted Chris as much as climbing the bookcases did. Hiding? Sneaking? I'm learning a lot about the historians today, said Chris wryly. I'll have you know that espionage is an optional subject at the historian's school, said Rondo seriously. He then clarified the matter with a wry grin of his own. Sorry, I mean advanced searching skills. They started teaching it after uncovering important histories that didn't want to be found. Chris did not feel great about applying these skills within the society, yet she did not possess any better ideas herself. There was always the chance he would not get caught and everything would be fine. She relented dubiously, saying, Show me what you've got. Upon re-entering the silo, Rondo failed to provide Chris with a masterclass in tracking. Instead, he began by inconspicuously flipping through a book titled A Beak for All Seasons while monitoring the entrance. Chris stood to the side and watched as the entrance door opened. Then in stepped a tall, thin Nocturnian. The Nocturnian wore a brimmed hat with an elongated top, which Chris thought accentuated the Nocturnian's stork-like figure. Rondo's mark checked their watch with a flick of their wrist, then paced into a row of bookcases. Chris watched Rondo slink behind him with fast and gentle steps. She waited in the lobby, keen not to disrupt Rondo's work. It took a few minutes before Rondo skulked back into the center of the lobby. He seemed empty-handed, but his cheeks had acquired a Celestine glow of embarrassment. You <sighs> caught me. Told me to flap off before I got him in trouble. The wording piqued Chris's attention, and she thought out loud to Rondo. That he can get in trouble too, 
does confirm that there is an organization to the system. Rondo resolved to try again, now he had warmed up. Two more researchers came in, and Rondo tacked onto them. This time, he deftly spun his body to conceal himself behind the edge of a bookcase. He then peeked at the path ahead before sneaking out of Chris's view. This time, Rondo returned with less embarrassment than the previous mission. He had managed to track the two further before he got caught. They had took a path to a trapdoor at the northern end of the silo. Of note, they kept checking their watches. More than anyone who merely wishes to know the time would care to check them. Then they spotted Rondo crouching behind a cart half-filled with books. They were getting closer, but still required more information. So, Rondo prepared to track the next person that entered. The door opened, but as it did, he turned around. The receptionist had tapped him on the shoulder and seemed discomforted with what she had to say to him next. Sorry to bother, but you can't stalk people in the society. Rattled by this, Rondo tried to steady himself. He fought back by discussing the difference between following and stalking, with a side order of merely investigating. He did this in the verbose style of the worst historian, a talent of his that Chris was growing to appreciate. The receptionist waited politely for him to finish. They then repeated what they had said before, adding that they would report Rondo if he did it again. Chris grumbled. Just because it was annoying to be caught didn't mean the receptionist was wrong. Chris did not want a chance getting kicked out, so they needed to work with what they had so far. She and Rondo agreed that the northern trapdoor was their best lead. They headed there as directly as they could, a process that involved reaching a dead end of bookcases before doubling back on themselves. Reaching the northern trapdoor, it looked like all the others they'd seen before, locked and exceedingly ladderless. The two returned to brainstorming ideas for what kind of system might be in place. Why they were using the northern trapdoor tickled Chris's neurons. She remembered that both their targets were looking at their watches and it gave her cause to wonder if time might be important to the mystery. The only knowledge that lined up next to this in her mind was that Chronobol sits in the northern skies above the city around midday. And, as it was midday now, perhaps the positioning of Chronobol will tell a researcher which door to try. It was a fallacy to just assume such things, but worse to sit around and figure it out when this trapdoor was right in front of them. They searched the area below the trapdoor for clues or signs of use. 
Rondo fingered through books while Chris inspected the area for marks or switches. Anything that might lead them to the next part of this puzzle. She failed to find anything so helpful as a switch, but as she stepped around the area, her feet elicited the occasional creak from below. She knelt to look more closely, only to find that there were many more bird droppings here than she'd seen elsewhere. Chris stood up and brushed the unwanted bird bits from her knees before calling out to Rondo. Ah, they need to run a broom over this place. Rondo responded with dispirited agreement. Quite. These books are in poor shape too. Chris headed over to see what Rondo was referring to. Many of the books had been pecked and scratched, presumably by birds rather than researchers. Chris inspected the titles of the afflicted tomes and considered what would attract one of the avian persuasion to a guide to exotic omelettes. Intrigued by a new style of delicious breakfast, she opened the book. Inside was little to do with omelettes. Instead, many tiny food pellets tumbled out of a cavity that was carved into the pages of the book and then clattered onto the ground. As the pellets rolled around on the floor, a purple, glistening dusk pigeon fluttered down from the holes in the ceiling. It landed, then waddled over to the pellets furthest away from Chris and then gobbled a clutch of them. When the dusk pigeon had had its fill, it squawked a well-enunciated, open, open, before flapping up through one of the small holes in the ceiling. Chris turned to Rondo and they both fist-pumped in victory. They then looked up at the trapdoor and waited for it to open. They had heard movement up there, but nothing that sounded like a lock opening. Chris waited a moment, then another. Nothing happened. She called out. Hey, the bird said open. Time to do the opening. There was no response, although she heard more movement above them. Come now, she beckoned. When this received no response as well, she moved towards the book again and rustled the pellets. More clunking came from above, louder than before. Looking up, she saw the trapdoor swing open and then dangle from its hinges. What followed this was the proud and friendly face of Luto. Chris tried to ask how she got up there before them, but could only manage to stare up with her mouth open in surprise. She then remembered where she was and closed her mouth just as quick. Luto smiled down at her and Rondo. Help you want? Chris stood motionless before she snapped out of the surprise and responded. Yes, yes, Luto. Help we want indeed. 